All right. Well, good morning. And uh, if you showed up here an hour early, uh, you forgot to turn your clock back, so sorry about that. But uh, hope you guys got an extra hour of sleep and feel refreshed and renewed. And uh, we're going to have fun this morning. How many of you already have had some fun in the presence of God? That's why we're here. We're here to encounter God, here to worship the Lord. And um, I know that... Um, that uh, the team gave away all of their welcome boxes. They ran out this morning, so there's several of you that are new here this morning, so welcome! I'm not the pastor. I'm the guest speaker. So anything that I do, please come back next week because this is not a normal service, okay? And I won't be here next week. Like, where's that short guy again? So, uh, no, so you have to uh, you have to come to Bakersfield, California to find us. So, uh, But guess what? We're Okies. Yay! So, uh, so my wife is born and raised in Bakersfield, and in California, I'm from the East Coast, so uh, so great to be back here with you guys again. We were here uh, in April of 2016, and so it's been great just to build uh, friendship and relationship with this church family and and with Grant and Rachel. So thank you guys so much for having us and honoring us. And uh, we have got two beautiful children that are over uh, in the classes. Judah's 11 months, and Eden is four. And so uh, we just love we just love Jesus. We love ministering together as a family. Um, and so so I believe there are some specific things the Lord wants to. Do. I believe there's some prophetic ministry the Lord wants to do, um, and so I want to give that as kind of a heads up that we're going to move into that. I believe that I need to share a couple things to kind of set the tone for where we're going to move into, uh, but when I say prophetic ministry, I say that just as a precursor because if you've never seen that done before, just to kind of explain what that looks like, as well as that you may have seen that before, but it may be a different style in the way that we're going to do that. So here's the deal. We're not going to be calling out your hidden sin, so you don't need to start repenting, even though you probably should anyways if you have any hidden sin and repent and get right with God, all right? But secondly, it's a word of encouragement. It's to lift you up, to build you up, and to edify you, and that's what First Corinthians 14, and so we're looking for the gold that is inside of you and help bring that to the surface and say, this is how God has created you to be. We're going to help encourage you with what we're hearing from the Lord, amen? So that's where it's encouragement. And so I felt like there's going to be several of you that we're going to be ministering to. At the same time, some of you are like, oh, please, God, give me a word. I can't guarantee that that will be you. Our team is going to ask the Lord to highlight certain individuals or people's names. And so at the end of the day, if you don't get a prophetic word, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, that you're somehow not valuable to him. God loves every single person here. But we, are, as ministers, are only going to do what we hear and see the Father doing. And so we need to understand that when someone gets a word, we're happy for them, they're blessed and we're excited for them and we're not comparing their word versus someone else's word or how we didn't get a word. Just know that every person that's going to get a word this morning, God really wants to communicate his love and encouragement to them. And if you need encouragement, still come up to our team. We'll have you pray for you. Also, if you need encouragement, read the Bible. It's a great prophetic word. I'm serious. Because it's forever life-giving, right? The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It constantly gives encouragement to our lives, okay? And then there are some of you that you're like, oh, I want a another prophetic word. Well, listen, if you still haven't done the previous prophetic word, try working on that one first before you look for another one. Just a thought, okay? Because a lot of times is that we're looking for the next thing when God's given us an assignment, and if we're not stewarding that, then why would God give us a new assignment when he's really like, hey, I've given you this thing to do. I want you to focus on that, amen? Uh, so I just want to encourage you sometimes in these environments of the prophetic is like, you can do all you want to to try and get my attention. I'm only going to do what God tells me to do, amen? And please don't stop me at the end of the, end of the, end of the afternoon and say, God has a word for, for me from you. And I was like, well, he didn't tell me that. Uh, so... 
just know that you are loved, you are valued as a child of God, regardless if you get a prophetic word, okay? Um, so uh, with that, I'm going to be hopping all over the Bible this morning, so just know it's legit message and legit uh, service. I'm not going to open up to a specific text because uh, what I love to do in these environments is to bring concepts of the ways of the Lord that are interwoven throughout a lot of different places of the Bible. And so this is not going to be more of an exegetical type preaching sermon this morning. I'm going to be focusing on a specific topic. And so therefore, I'm going to interweave through that. So if you have a notepad or your phone and want to take notes, that's fine. Uh, But what I'm going to be doing is probably interweaving like two or three different messages I feel like is, is important for you guys as a congregation to move into. Obviously, those of you that may be coming from different congregations, or are new here uh, to come alongside of what the Lord wants to do and establish for the specific church. And that's what you see Paul when he wrote the letters to Corinth and to Ephesus is he was speaking to specific congregations and where they were at in their walk with the Lord. So I want to give a message that in the broad terms you can connect with, but I also want to give a word specific to this house. Does that make sense? Because that's what they've asked us to do as an itinerant ministry to come in uh, to, uh, to uh, this church. And so I really felt like, and what we did on Friday night is I, I heard the Lord say to release a fresh ruah of God. And the ruah of God is the breath of God, the life of God. And you can see that really uh, emphasized in Ezekiel 37 where God gives Ezekiel a prophetic word over the nation of Israel that the bones that are dry and that are dead will come to life. And so what's been really cool is those of you that were, were here Friday and we did some ministry and those of you, you know, we were ministering for, what, over three hours yesterday to a lot of the team here. How many of you feel refreshed so far this weekend? Raise your hand. Lots of people all over this room because that's what God is releasing uh, this weekend. Uh, but what I want to do is to encourage you is that that Ruah of God, the life of God, is not meant to be incorporated just in a corporate context on Sunday mornings or church services, that the wind of God, the breath of God, the life of God actually is inside of you, and you can release that wherever you go. And so we have to understand who is inside of us, the person of the Holy Spirit, who is inside of us, the person of Jesus, who we are in relationship with, Abba, Father. And if we can understand that relationship, man, we can accomplish incredible, mighty things in everyday life, in our circumstances, as well as in our spheres of influence. Does that make sense? And that's really what it's all about, is the enemy does not want you to realize who you are. If you really understood who you are, you would conquer in so many areas of your life because you would have no fear in love. You'd have no fear in relationship with the Abba Father because if you knew who he was inside of you, you would know that he's with you at all times. And it doesn't matter if you feel him, see him, experience him, hear him. He is always with you, regardless of your experience. And that's where so many Christians get caught up with, of, of hearing people's testimonies and stories of miracles or healings or their prophetic experiences. And like, well, I haven't had that. Well, God didn't tell me that. Well, listen, it's all over the book. Everywhere in Scripture is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob having crazy encounters with the living God. Listen, Abraham made a cake for an angel, and the angel ate it. That's ridiculous. It's there in Genesis, all right? You know, Ezekiel got put up in the spirit by his head, by his hairlocks, all right? Then Peter and, and Paul had trances and divine encounters with the living God. And so what God wants to communicate is that it is normal to have encounters with him because he loves you. He is for you. He is with you. 
And, and so my heart this morning is to say that I've said over this church, get ready for the encounters of the Lord, the encounters of God, which you guys have been asking for, crying out to, but it's not based on merit. It's not based on works of righteousness. It's based on grace. And there's something that is on this house to be a house when people walk through this door, they encounter God. They have divine visitations, experiences that they can't even rationalize or understand, but it's in this place and a part of this church community that God wants to bring encounters. And it's not just to lift up, oh, I had a cool encounter. It's that you're changed forever by the experience with God. Yeah? All right. I'm not even preaching yet. So uh, so in the Bible, what I love about Jesus, how many of you love Jesus? Right? If you're here, I hope you love Jesus. And at the end of the day, if you're like, I don't know Jesus, come. We'd love to introduce you to him. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's changed so many of our lives in this room. And that's the greatest miracle that can happen today is that you begin a relationship with Jesus. So if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, please come and talk to me, one of the pastors. We'd love to pray with you and help lead you into an experience with Jesus. But Jesus modeled normal Christianity. He is the model. And, and so much theology has been given about how Jesus, you know, he walked on water. He multiplied food. Uh, he raised the dead. He died on the cross. And, and so sometimes we elevate Jesus way up here as far as what he experienced versus our experience. But when Jesus told his disciples uh, in John chapter 14 that they would do greater things than him, that you know how that was probably shocking to the disciples? Like, because Peter tried to walk on water, and he did for a little bit, and, but he didn't make it the whole way. So they had some growing to do, some maturing to do. But I know a lot of times people diss Peter because he didn't walk on water. He actually did, other than all the disciples. So he had got something right, at least for a little bit, okay? Uh, and so I feel like that a lot of times we do not step into risking when it comes to the supernatural or kingdom ministry is because we think that, we can't do it because only Jesus can do it. And the reality is that we can do it in Jesus. He's given us the permission, the access, granted us the permission to do that. And um, so in, in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, okay, and this is where we really begin to see how he had relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, it was John the Baptist, his cousin, was the greatest Old Testament prophet. That's what the Bible says. He was the greatest Old Testament prophet, and he actually brought a message called called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? John the Baptist actually preached the same gospel that Jesus did. But there was a difference in the experience. John the Baptist, the only clearance he had was help people to repent and be baptized. Now, if you're a Christian, most likely you have repented and have been baptized. Right? You've repented of your sin, asked Jesus to come in your heart, and then been baptized. But Jesus didn't come with the same message. He came with the same concept, but a different experience. So when Jesus came, it says that when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, it says he came up out of the waters and three significant things happened. First, it says the heavens were opened. It says the Spirit of God came upon him like a dove. And then third, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. How many of you would love to have that experience at work tomorrow? In front of all your coworkers and your boss. Like, I am beloved. I am the best employee. Yes. Um, but sincerely, it's like, what an amazing experience and encounter that Jesus had. And so there's a couple of things here if we, if we take note of this. And if you want to look at this, it's Matthew 3, 16 and 17. But it says that the heavens were opened or torn open. Does it say that they closed? Ah. Huh. 
Okay, so if we're really trying to get into an understanding of who Jesus is and how he could do a lot of these miracles, because you got to understand is this, Jesus is God and was God. But the Bible teaches us in Philippians 2 that he actually emptied himself of his divinity so that he could walk as a human just like us and model a relationship with Abba Father and the person of the Holy Spirit perfection, sinless, so that he actually, when he died on the cross, could fully represent us as humans to lay down their will and to lay down their life and to bear upon himself the sins of the world. It's a beautiful, beautiful sacrifice. It's, it's a wonderful revelation. If you've never had that revelation of what Christ Jesus has fully done for you by taking your sin, your shame, your guilt upon himself so that you could walk in relationship with God the Father. It's, it's the whole premise of Christianity, Right? And so Jesus did not function out of his divinity because if he did, he could have done a lot of other things. He actually could have called angels to come down and save him. He actually could have done some things on his own. He chose to walk as a son, as a human, fully God and fully man. So we can't elevate Jesus way up here saying, well, that was just Jesus. No, he modeled for us what our expectation of our life should be like. And until we're continue to grow and mature in the image of Christ, that's the model. That's the focus. That's who we want to be like in all things. So if you want to wear a WWJD bracelet and say, what would Jesus do? He ruined every funeral he went to. I'm sincere. Yes, it's be kind, be nice to other people, but he did some really, really funky, crazy stuff. You know, for one of his healing models, he spit on their eyes. How many of you came to this church saying, I just want someone to spin on my eyes. I just, I want to see. No, that's weird, right? That's different. Because he said in John 5, I only do what I see my father doing in heaven. And so that's where Jesus modeled a relationship in which he heard the voice of the father. I want you to do this. I don't want you to do this. I want you to communicate this to this person, communicate to that. He was in constant access of relationship with God. So that heavens being opened primarily is relationship, deep, intimate connection with God the Father. And that's why you hear that voice come out from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Notice it doesn't say this is my beloved Messiah, this is my beloved Apostle, this is the Lamb that was slain, or supposed to be slain, because he hadn't been slain yet, okay? And he didn't say that, it said Son. So for a premise of walking in what I'll call an open heaven kingdom relationship with God and lifestyle is sonship. Because all of you that have accepted Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord, you are a son and you are a daughter. You're children of God, right? Isn't that what we believe? And so if he is a king and you're his kid, what does that make you? Prince or a princess. That makes you royalty. Glad that a couple people enjoy that, like that, okay? Now, for some of you, that might be a, a tilt of the head because a lot of times we've been told, taught what's called total depravity is that you are the scum of the earth because you've sinned, you've made mistakes, God doesn't like you, you're not good enough, and so Jesus has come just to, to get you saved just so you can barely get into the doorway of heaven. 
And that's not what Jesus taught and communicated. He communicated love, acceptance, forgiveness. He accepted a family and adoption in which you get things that you're not deserving of. And we all know that. None of us are deserving of the grace that God has given to us. But a part of us is that we don't really want to accept the fullness of what Christ Jesus did for us because it seems arrogant or prideful for us to say that we're royalty or that we're sons of the living God because we don't want to ever assume the position that Jesus has. But Jesus gave us that specific language to call ourselves. So to really fully walk in who we're called to be, we have to learn to wear a different garment that makes us feel uncomfortable because it's garments of praise and of adoration that we know that we're not deserving of, but God wants us to wear those clothing. He wants us to wear that, those garments, okay? So when we see Jesus, heavens get ripped open, the Spirit of God comes upon him like a dove, it never says the Holy Spirit left him. So he has this amazing, amazing I would say, advantage in ministry. He's got the heavens ripped open, the Spirit of God upon him without measure, and the voice of the Father. And then that's where you see Jesus begin to do extraordinary things. He begins going throughout all the different towns of Galilee and Nazareth and going out and preaching the gospel. And the gospel message was the kingdom of God is at hand. So John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God is coming. Repent, be baptized. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to repent. So repentance is still the same thing. But now I'm going to show you what is really uh, the kingdom message is about. Is that heaven is invading earth. Heaven is coming to earth through my life as a representative of both heaven and earth. I have come to bring heaven to earth and relationship from God to mankind once again. And that's what we call Jesus as our mediator, right? He's a mediator between us as a human being to the relationship with Abba Father. In the same way, he's a mediator between planet Earth and the realm of heaven. Okay, not as many amens on that one. So let's take a step back. Okay. Okay. So I was taught, I was raised in more conservative background. I was taught... That total depravity is that you are, you basically, you suck at life, you deserve to die, get saved so you can barely get by and get to heaven and get your ticket. And just basically you're going to have to really uh, struggle through sin and circumstances for the rest of your life. And you're just going to have to get over it and try not to stink it up too bad. Okay. I'm not sure what you were taught, but that's kind of like the premise of what I was taught. So when I got received the Holy Spirit, man, it was freeing, right? To understand that, wow, God loves me. He's not mad at me. He's not waiting to strike me with lightning because I messed up again. He just, he's, he's done the work on the cross, so I don't have to walk in this sin anymore, right? And so what, uh, what I love about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is constantly unveiling the fullness of what Christ did for us. It's constantly being revealed to us, the fullness of what Christ has done and what we have access to live in, okay? So with heaven, I was taught that when you are here on planet Earth, when you physically die, that somehow your soul or your spirit, depending on your theology, will somehow leave your body. You'll, you'll float through the stratosphere in outer space and check out the, the moons of, of Saturn and maybe Pluto if it is a planet or not. And then you somehow find these pearly gates. Peter's there, welcomes you in, and boom, you're in eternity forever. All right? The Bible doesn't say that, pearly gates, or Peter welcomes you. It's just kind of what we kind of think in our mind and different cartoons and things like that. But Jesus says that he is eternal life. So who lives inside of you? Jesus. So you already have been given eternal life. So eternal life is not something we're trying to obtain. It's something that's been granted to us as a free gift of grace, and we get to live out of eternal life on earth because we're never going to spiritually die. 
We're forever going to be in the presence of the Lord. Yes, one day we will physically die, but not spiritually. So, okay, stay with me, all right? This isn't heresy. It's very biblical, all right? So let me share with you some more. So how many of you know what Galatians 2.20 says? Someone say it out loud. Galatians 2.20. There we go. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. All right? So how many of you have died with Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, so if you're a Christian, you actually, before you got born again, you actually died. Because crucifixion is a death sentence. Right? I don't know anyone that gets crucified and they get life. They die. Okay? Then Paul says in Colossians 2, you are buried with him in the baptism of his death. So we're actually identified with the work of the cross in which Jesus, we are identified with him. So we're crucified with Christ, then we're buried with him in the baptism of his death. But then Paul says in Colossians 2, and then if you have been buried with him in the baptism of his death, you also have been raised up with him. And you currently sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's a four-part process. One, you're crucified, you're buried in death, but then you're resurrected and then you're ascended. Huh? That's the mystery. It's a profound mystery that us as human beings, that in a relationship with Jesus, we experience earthly blessing, but there's so much more that happens on a spiritual level that we're not always conscious of or realize, but the Bible says and communicates is that when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, it says that his spirit merges with your spirit and he becomes one with you and you now host the presence of the living God as a human temple. But some of us never felt that or experienced it, but that's what the Bible says. That's what happened in that moment of confession of faith, right? So we believe that, right, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But we don't all realize in those macro seconds of that happening, you are crucified, you are buried, you are resurrected, and you are ascended at the exact same time. Regardless of your experience, the Bible says if you are in Christ Jesus, you are seated with him in heavenly places. So where is Jesus in heavenly places? At the right hand of God. So if I come up here onto the stage, and let's imagine what that picture looks like. So let's say right here, this was where the Father sits. It's where his throne is. It's where he rules and he reigns. Get the picture? What does the Bible say that, that what are some people or things that are there before the, the presence of the Father? Angels. How many? Lots of them. Myriads upon myriads. What else? What else is there? Elders. Okay, what else? Beasts, living creatures. What else is there? Jesus. Yeah, awesome, right? Jesus hanging out. Who else is there? Us. Yes, you're getting there. Yes, a little premature, but that's okay. All right. So it's true. <laughs> what else is there? We have saints, people who have gone before us, right? Cherubim, seraphim. How about the different attributes of that place? What are the attributes that's before the Father on his throne? Holiness, grace, what else? Love. Can you imagine the love that is between the Father and the Son in that place? The affection for one another? What, what else is there? Light. He's the Father of lights. How about the seven lampstands of the Holy Spirit? There's a sea of glass. There's a rainbow. There's darkness and light at the same time. It's a bizarre place that God lives in. 
His pets have four heads and eyeballs all over them. <laughs> Guys, read Revelation. It's all there, all right? And the four living creatures aren't his pets. I'm just saying it as a, as a, fun, as a fun thing. I just, didn't know, I just don't know what God was thinking when he created them. Like, I just want to mess with people on earth by creating these type of people that are so weird looking. Um, but here's the thing. So God lives on his throne. And when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying where my father lives, all of its attributes and the people that are there are now have access on planet earth. Because back in the beginning when he created heaven and earth, he never meant for them to be separated. He meant for them to be cohabited by humans and divine things and a working operation in which earth was to mimic what heaven had. And he gave that authority to Adam and Eve that you would take dominion over planet earth and that you would rule and you would occupy and you would fill the earth with sons and daughters of God and be in relationship with me to bring Eden all over the planet. But guess what? We got a problem because they messed up. They sinned. And they were no longer had access to that place of being with the Father. But guess what Jesus did? He applied his blood on the mercy seat. And so the same Greek word that's used for ripping the heavens in Matthew 3 is the same Greek word that is used for the veil to be ripped and torn apart when Jesus died on the cross. Because God, in his infinite love and mercy, sent his son Jesus not only to die for our sins, but to make a way where there was no way where we could come and have access once again to the holy of holies in heaven itself. Hebrews 4.16 says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly, confidently, before the throne of grace in time of need and receive mercy and grace. This is the throne that we're talking about. When can we come to the throne of God? Whenever we're in need. Are you in need in this life? I just have told the Lord, I just want to be the neediest Christian on the planet. <laughs> I'm kind of half joking, but sincerely, it's like, I can't, I can't be the husband or the dad that I need to be without living in his presence. I'll never become who I'm called to be without coming and accessing that relationship. So when the Father sits on his throne, it says at his right hand, that's where Jesus sits. In Ephesians 1, you guys have been studying this as a church family. We know that he was raised up and exalted above every power of darkness, everything that the enemy has in place. Jesus has been raised up above those things, and he currently sits next to the Father. So in Ephesians 2, 6 says, when, it, when we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, you now have to picture yourself in Christ, seated with him. And if that's the truth, then how far away is God from you? Wow. This depends how big your God is, I guess. Um, so simply, when Jesus says, my father's world is at hand. What he's communicating is, in him, in the name of Jesus, he has created a way for us. It's not about going to heaven. It's living out of eternal life. It's living out of the birthright that we now have as the children of God in which we are to imitate God in all things. Ephesians 5. 
For all you studying Ephesians, it's there, Ephesians 5.1. Imitate God. But for a lot of us, it's hard for us to imagine ourselves seated next to the Father because we feel icky and yucky, and we know our mistakes. We know what we've done uh, in, our, in our past, and we think that somehow God can't have sin in his presence. Listen, Jesus dealt with it forever. God can handle your sin. He already did. So he's now, because of sin, his holiness will now not be tainted. Actually, his holiness purifies you and your sin. We can't elevate sin as a higher ranking level than God's glory and his love. So what happens is we kind of have this thought process. You know what? If I'm in heaven, I'm just gonna be, I would just rather just be a fly on the wall. I would just like to watch the angels worshiping and the 24 elders. And I'll just, I'll be, just be so thankful that I can just be over here and just kind of hang out in heaven. But the reality is this, is that Jesus said, I want you to sit with me at the highest place of honor. Even though you know you're not deserving of that spot. You know that you're not deserving of that honor. And so what true humility looks like for the people of God is that we come and sit in a seat that we know we're not deserving of. And come and sit with Jesus and say, even though, Lord, I am not equal to you, you are way more holier than I am, so much more magnificent. If I truly believe that what you did on the cross was enough, then I will choose to sit here and let you love on me even when I don't feel I'm, I'm lovable. Because you did it. And I'm choosing to believe that you did it, even though I don't feel like it. And it's learning how to live out of an open heaven, a relationship with God, where you get so many more things than you deserve of. And that's why we live in a Christian focus of grace. His grace is his divine empowerment for you to do what you're called to do. And if you need more grace, where do you get it? The throne of grace. So I'm, God gives you permission to go and be with him at his throne whenever you want to. Not when you physically die. Because you already did die. And you were resurrected. And you were ascended with him. And there is also a measure of that this is a taste in this life. Is it fully realized? No. That's the tension that we live in. In moments we'll see the power of God show up. And the next time we pray for someone, they don't get healed. And that, that, that hurts our heart because we know we've experienced, we've seen, we've heard the stories, we've read the Bible. We're like, God, why doesn't that happen? And that's a part of the mystery is that we can have these moments with God, and in other moments we have life circumstances. That's because we live on planet Earth while living in a dimension called heavenly places at the exact same time. So here's the deal. In Genesis, there's a guy named Jacob who had a dream. Uh, and if you look at this dream, I'm just going to open up real quickly to, for you guys uh, because this is where I kind of want to focus on and kind of leave it here, okay, is that... Uh, Jacob had this dream in Genesis 28. And um, in this dream, he saw a ladder connecting heaven and earth. And on this ladder, angels were going up and down, or the language was ascending and descending. And Jacob woke up from this dream, and he goes, Oh my goodness, God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. 
how often is the kingdom of God at hand? All the time. The question is not, is God present? The question is, are we aware of his presence? Are we aware that the kingdom is at hand? Because guess what? We forget. Why? We just, we kind of forget. And it's not out of our stupidity or anything. It's just life happens. We're so used and we've been programmed for our carnal way of thinking when God is asking us to renew our mind, change our perspective, which is what repent means. If you could understand what's available to you, life will dramatically change, not only your relationship with him, but how you interact with others. Okay? And so, <laughs> um, so Jacob says, this is none other than the gateway of heaven. So what's a gateway? It's a door. So what does a door do? It opens. What else does it do? It closes. So he says this geographical location is a gateway to what? Heaven. Like, like now pre-Jesus? Yep. And if you look throughout the stories throughout Israel, people would go back to that location and have encounters with God because it was this place that became an open heaven or open portal, open gateway, open window, open door, whatever language you want to use in charismatic lingo. It was an opening to a place of divine connection with God. Right? Oh, it's so cool. I'll just travel to Israel and go hang out at that place where Jacob built that altar, right? Now, fast forward to Jesus. John chapter 1. He gives a word of knowledge, uh, and he's talking to these guys, uh, Nathaniel, and he says, you know what, Nathaniel? You got a revelation that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, but I'm going to tell you what, you're going to see greater things. Look at your neighbor and say greater things. Okay, I said look at your neighbor and say greater things. I'm the preacher. You have to do what I tell you to do, okay? All right? So if you're new here, you don't have to do it next week unless, you know, they do a different thing. But now I'm the guest speaker, so you got to do what I say. I'm just, I'm kidding. All right? Gr greater things. You'll see greater things than this. You'll see the heavens opened. And you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, that's some really interesting terminology because actually nowhere else in all of this Bible does it actually say angels ascending and descending except Genesis 28. So what was Jesus trying to communicate to some good Jewish boys who would have known the Torah and known that encounter? Hey, Jacob, your forefather that had that dream, I'm the fulfillment of the dream. Because in that time and place, it was a geographical location. Now that geographical, geographical location has now moved to a person. Because in that dream, it was a ladder connecting heaven and earth. Jesus was communicating, I am now the ladder that connects the realm of heaven to the realm of earth through my blood that I'm going to do in a few couple years. And so when Jesus applied that blood on the mercy seat, it says that he cleansed the heavens and began to bring people into the place of God's holy of holies. And so if Jesus is a ladder in which the heavens have been ripped open over his life and the angels of God are ascending and descending, it says that Jesus Christ lives inside of you, which makes you a ladder, makes you a gateway, makes you having an open heaven over your life, in which you have angels ascending and descending, helping you to fulfill the call of God over your life through the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a very spontaneous moment of the Spirit. Okay, so we'll try and <laughs> do that. Take two, all right? <laughs> if Jesus is the ladder, say ladder. If you don't like a ladder, say mediator, <laughs> all right? He's a mediator between 
If you ever have done the Navigator's uh, book, you know, you, if you have this abyss of sin and God's over here and mankind's over here, there's no way that we can get from one place to the other. Through the cross, we're able to get from land of sin to land of God. So in the same way, we're on planet Earth and we're on the realm of heaven. Jesus made a way for us to access heaven. Not futuristically, now. Because here's the truth. Ever since you got born again, you've been living in, in heavenly places, regardless if you've ever experienced it. Gosh, why isn't this a part of Christianity 101, right? Why isn't this a part of understanding that the totality of God's grace upon our lives to redeem us from all sin, but to connect us to relationship with our Abba Father? So how does this practically work? Well, if I have Jesus inside of me and I have an open heaven, even if I don't have an experience of any kind, I can go practice this wherever I go. So we do this as a ministry, and we do this in our lifestyle, as we go and we go into, into places, we go into jobs, we go into schools, we go into uh, airplanes and airports with an understanding that even though we're in a physical location at some part of the planet, we're actually walking on heaven's soil because we're ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says we're citizens of heaven. I'm just trying to build more and more on this process of that you have more access than what you realize. And if you begin to act on these things, you'll begin to see God move in your life so much more because you understand your identity. You understand that you're a son, you're a daughter, and you represent the kingdom of heaven. You're no longer born of this world. You're in it, but not of it. You're now born from above. This is all scriptural, folks. I just quoted you like 15 scripture verses. I have a teaching called Seated with Christ in Heavenly Places. You actually give you the addresses that you can learn more about this, okay? So one of my favorite stories of, of, of kind of doing this is I was at my high school reunion, and uh, back when I was in high school, I was very um, legalistic. Let's just put it that way. And so I didn't have one WWJD bracelet. I had seven in case you didn't see the first six, okay? I had all the Christian t-shirts, a breadcrumb and fish instead of Abercrombie and Fitch. I had my Bible open every single lunch period to debate scripture to the Catholics, to the Charismatics, to anyone and the pagans to let them know how much they were sinners and needed Jesus and that they were going to go to hell if they didn't accept him. Apparently, no one liked that message. They didn't want to hang out with me because they didn't like being told how much they suck at life. Go figure, all right? So then I encountered the Holy Spirit, got a lot more training in theology and experience. And so I went back to my high school reunion. Like, these guys, they're, probably their image of me is way different than who I am. So I kind of just sat down at this table. And just FYI, it was in a bar because that's where the reunion was. Okay, listen, just because it's in a bar doesn't mean God can't move because he's everywhere. And wherever darkness is, how darkness flees is by light showing up. And you are the light of the world, FYI. The Bible, Matthew chapter 5. Okay. So I sat down at this table and I said, Lord, I declare there's an open heaven at this table. And the relationship that we have, I ask, Lord, that every person that sits at this table would be able to experience you the way I experience you. Just take authority over the atmosphere. And so all of a sudden, you know, over the course of a few minutes, people started sitting down. And I just simply just began to ask them, you know, like, hey, what's been, what have you been doing the past several years? And they began to share their stories. And as they're sharing stories, I'm listening to them, but I also have my antenna in Christ in heavenly places. And I'm like, all right, dad, you, this daughter over here, that's, whether they're saved or not, they're still his daughter because he created them in their image and they're still his kid. So they may be lost or they may be found, but they're still his kid. 
And so, Lord, what will open their heart to know that you are God, that you are real? And so I start getting words of knowledge for the individual. I start getting prophetic words for them. But I'm not sharing it right away because I don't have an agenda. I'm just trying to love, and I'm honestly trying to practice. How do I live out of this open heaven, this thing that I really believe is sincere? And so as uh, then when they asked me that question, what have you been doing with your life? And I'm like, oh, well, I had a shift from chemical engineering to now I heal people for a living. And they're like, oh, you're a doctor? I'm like, no, I'm a minister. And so I began to share them stories of people getting healed of deafness in Brazil and blind eyes in India and all these amazing stories of like, you've seen that? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And so then one of uh, my friends from high school who was a part of my youth group uh, came in drunk, not in the Holy Spirit with alcohol, okay? Just make sure you understand context. And, and so she came in and she sat down, you know, she was like wobbly, you know, it's very obvious through her manifestation that she was drunk, all right? And so she's listening to these stories and the more stories I share, the matter she gets. She's getting beat red. And I'm like, <laughs> we have ourselves a little critter on our hands, so this will be fun. Um, and, um, and so I just was sharing these stories, and all of a sudden she goes, she puts her hand on the table. She goes, no, that's a bunch of bull. She said a different word, but it's church. And she said, I don't believe you. God doesn't do miracles anymore. And I said, okay, prove it. I'm not on trial here. You proved to me that God can't do miracles, that this isn't real. And she was speechless because she only was saying what she had been taught, okay? But the Lord already shown me how to minister to her. So I said, here's the deal. You can't prove to me in this moment that God doesn't do miracles, but I can prove to you that he does because you have pain right here in your back, don't you? And she's like, how did you know that? And I said, because God loves you, and he does do miracles, and I'm going to pray for you, and God is going to heal you. So I got up from my chair, put my hand on her back, prayed for healing, and then I had her check her neck out and her back, and all the pain had left. And she said, how did you do that? And I said, because God does miracles, and even though you didn't believe that he did, he still healed you to let you know how much he loves you, and that he even overcame unbelief on the cross— and lack of faith and disbelief because all sin was destroyed on the cross. I know that will break some of your paradigms of some things that maybe you have been taught by other people in the church that you must have this in order to be healed. Jesus healed zero Christians in his earthly ministry. You guys doing okay? And so all of a sudden she starts looking at her hand. She goes, Oh, my gosh, I am sober. I, I am not drunk anymore. What is going on? And so this woman who was drunk with alcohol, intoxicated, got a touch from the Lord, and God took away her drunkenness. Didn't even pray for it. The presence of God and open heaven brought her into an experience with God that she would not have had if I would have not stepped out and risked potentially making my friends even think I'm more weeder now that I've come from this side to this side, all right? And so, but it's about love. It's about grace. Another example that I love is, um, this was in 2013. Uh, it was actually Valentine's Day, and I was uh, living in Pennsylvania, and I had gone to a coffee time with my friend uh, in, a, in a city called Kina, Prussia, and I lived in Westchester, so it was about a 20-minute drive. Uh, and so we were just having coffee, connecting, hanging out, and this young man who I'd never met before kind of sat next to us at this cafe, and he was just eating some soup. And the more and more that we talked, you could see the closer this guy began to inch towards our table, and you could hear that he was listening in the conversation. And so I kind of was aware of it. But then he stops his meal, and he looks over, and he goes, excuse me, guys, are you guys Christians? And I said, yes, 
you know, how did you guess, kind of jokingly, because we were talking about Jesus left and right. Um, and he goes, well, what church do you go to? And I said, well, I go to Eastgate Church in, in Westchester. And he's like, okay, well, what are your two core beliefs of your church? And I said, oh, I think I have more than two. But if I had to limit it to two, I would say it's hosting the presence of God and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And he's like, are you guys a charismatic church? And I said, well, if we had to classify our church into a specific sector, sure. And he said, well, this is what I cannot stand about charismatic Christians. And he just starts going off of a list of taboos and different types of judgments against Christian, uh, charismatic Christians. And I am thinking, ah, oh, what a jerk. Like, I was having a nice coffee time, and this guy interrupts my meal to bash my belief system, and he doesn't realize I have two master's degrees. I could destroy him theologically in a moment. And I'm irritated. I'm not in the land of peace. I'm in the land of, I'm going to punch him in the face. All right? How many of you ever had those moments in life? All right? Uh, okay, you didn't raise your hand, but I know you're there. Thank you. Thank you. All right? Let's be real. Okay? I'm a minister, but I still have emotions. Okay? All right? But I don't have to act out of them. All right? They're just emotions. Okay? So I decided to what, practice what I preach. I came up there with Jesus. And I said, Jesus, this guy's being an idiot. <laughs> and I don't like him. So... But, Lord, he's in my zone because I have an open heaven. He doesn't realize it, but he came into my zone, so now he has to dictate. He's not dictated by the authority I carry of an open heaven, which is life and love and forgiveness. And so even though I'm irritated, I'm asking, Father, you've brought him to me for a divine encounter. Lord, even though blah, 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 he's bashing my belief systems, I'm going to tune him out and I'm going to tune into you. Father, what do you want to do in his life? And he goes, I want you to demonstrate to him my love because he's got pain in his neck and I'm going to heal him. And I said, okay, cool. And so he, goes, he just keeps going off for about 10 minutes about how he doesn't like my belief systems. Systems. And so I just, when he was done, and I, I just told him, I said, isn't it amazing that we can have different belief systems and different worship styles and still be brothers in the same family and still have unity in the body of Christ? And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing that we can still have un unity in the body of Christ. <laughs> so I didn't argue with him at all. I just knew that it wasn't uh, worth it. It was just communicating, I still love you even though you, d you disagree with me on my belief systems. And so I said to him, now, since I am a charismatic and I do believe in spiritual gifts, I have a gift called the gift of word of knowledge, and God told me that you have pain in your neck. Is that true? He goes, yeah. And I said, and I have a gift of healing because I'm a charismatic. And, and so can I pray for you? And he goes, you can pray for me when you get home. And I said, no, you interrupted my coffee time. I'm going to interrupt your lunch time. So I put my hand on his neck. See, this is where you move from praying for the sick and healing the sick. You don't give them the option. I'm being sincere. The Bible says heal the sick, Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. So I put my hand on his neck, and I began to pray for healing. That kid started eating his soup as fast as possible. He was like, get me out of here. I am so uncomfortable. I just prayed for his neck, and I said, can you do me a favor? Can you check it out and see if there's any difference? And he says, I'm, I'll be healed when I get to heaven. I had the thought, Lord, please get him there. You know, so I, I, was, I was so mad and aggravated. I'm like, I am going out of my way to love this kid, and he's, like, totally not receiving any of this. So he's like, so I gave him my suggestion. Keep checking it out throughout the day and just know that probably by the end of the day it will be all better. And he goes, thanks, bye-bye, and he just leaves. And I just thought this was funny interaction. Well, fast forward several more hours. I'm now back in Westchester. I'm with my beautiful wife at the mall, and I'm getting her something nice for Valentine's Day. And then as we're in the mall, all of a sudden, I just get deathly tired. And I am like, 
Oh, no. I, I do not want to be tired. I want to enjoy our evening. And so I just said, Elizabeth, we, I need to go get coffee right now. And she's like, right now? I remember you were getting boots. And I was like, yes, right now. Drop the boots. Let's go. And she's like, why are you acting so weird? I'm like, I don't know. I just need coffee right now. And I'm not like that where I'm that aggressive of like, I need coffee. But in this mall, there was only one coffee shop, and it was with the food court. So we had to walk halfway uh, through the mall. And once we turned the corner and I got to the coffee shop, guess who was there at the coffee shop? the kid from lunch. 20 mile difference, different place in Pennsylvania from the same day. And he turns around with two cups of coffee and he sees me and he goes, and this is where you can have a little bit of fun. And so I, I realized I wasn't tired for coffee. God was trying to get my attention to get me to that spot to minister more to this kid. And I looked at him and I said, God is trying to get your attention. His face was great. It was awesome. It's okay to put the fear of the Lord in people sometimes, okay? All right? <laughs> and he was like, oh, my gosh, where, why are you here? I'm like, I live, I live like a street over. Like, what are you doing here? I'm from Westchester. I'm like, so how's your neck? He goes, I was just telling my girlfriend, I've been checking my neck out all day. I've got no more pain in my neck. I cannot believe that that charismatic stuff works. And I'm like, it's amazing, right, that it's right there in Scripture. But I'm so sorry if others have taught you differently or you've had other charismatic individuals, like, show a, a different way of doing it that didn't show love and grace and humility. And I'm so sorry. Please forgive the church for not, not teaching it that way. And so I had a great conversation with him. Uh, and was able to really encourage him to open up maybe his understanding about Scripture in a way that wasn't confrontational but was a place of love and grace. And so we've learned about living out of an open heaven that it's not only just, it's not about taking over like a city. It's touching the person that God puts in front of you every single day. And when they come into contact with you, they deserve an encounter with God. And because you live with God and live with him and live within his realm, and the more that you understand that you do that, the more you'll be able to live and operate out of that. Does that make sense? So why don't you stand up? You guys doing okay? I want you to just hold out your hands like this. If you've never done this before, this is what I would call a receiving posture, Okay. And I, uh, I run a ministry school in Bakersfield, and I love to help teach my students to learn how to receive because so much in our Christian faith, we're taught to do this, 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 and this. And a lot of times, God's just like, I want you to stop moving, stop trying, and I want you to open up your heart and just let me pour into you, okay? So I just want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to imagine this beautiful waterfall. And what would it look like if you had this waterfall in front of you that you knew was clear, was crisp, was, would, would cool you down? And I, go, I want you to go put yourself underneath of that waterfall. And what would it feel like to have that water begin to pour over your head and on your shoulders and all your hands? And how just your body would relax. Your heart would be overwhelmed by being cooled off from the heat of the day. And that's what it's like in an open heaven. Is that Christ Jesus has poured out his spirit upon your life. So Father, in this moment, I pray over this church and those that are here. That right now, they would understand 
that they have been crucified with Christ. They no longer live, but Christ lives inside of them. That they have been buried with Christ in the baptism of his death and raised up with him. But that not only have you been raised up, that they, Father, have been ascended with you. And so, Father, I ask right now, I release a blessing over every person's spirit, that they spirits would be unlocked to that truth, that beautiful mystery of being seated with you, with having the heavens ripped open over their life because of Jesus. And I ask you, Jesus, would you come and visit your bride? Would you come and visit your sons and your daughters? Would you give them dreams? Would you give them visions? Would you unlock their ability to hear you and see you and know you? Would you give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation to go deeper into your word, to know the life of God's word, the scriptures, make them come alive in a whole new way? I ask, God, that you begin to open up different spiritual gifts right now in Jesus' name, that people will begin to discern discern the angelic and discern the ways of heaven right now in Jesus' name. Some of you have weights that are actually coming off of your backs. There's just been these weights that have been on your life for so long of bitterness, of anger, and all these different things. And God's saying, I love you so much. And even though you didn't understand why those things happened or why those things were done to you or what, what you think about me because of your sin, but God says, I love you regardless of what you have done, what you have said, or how you've even felt towards God. He loves you so very much. And his love is available right now. You can just catch it out of the sky, out of the atmosphere. God, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the waterfall. I receive the Holy Spirit. I receive my access. I receive my keys of the kingdom of heaven. I receive my keys of authority. I receive my inheritance as a son, as a daughter. And so, Father, I ask in Jesus' name, would you help this church live in heaven, live in the heavenly places, live from that perspective, live from that blessing to be able to have great impact in earth. Let it transform their individual walk. Let it transform their quiet time with you, but let it transform their jobs, their families. Let it transform their businesses, their school system, their government. Let this city be known for the open heaven. Let it be known for lovers of God, the church, stepping into their inheritance in Jesus' name.